we go. Let's do this. All right. <laughs> hey, listeners, this is William Sterling, and you are listening to the Killer Mediums podcast, where we talk about all your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. Today's topic is revenge arcs, and we are joined by guest Cat Valor. We'll start with a broad discussion about the trope, and then we're going to deep dive into the movie's revenge, martyrs, and then Cat's book, Revenge Arc, which is so cool. Um, but there are mild spoilers scattered throughout for all of these things, which for martyrs might be a good idea to go in blind, um, or it might be a horrible idea. I don't know. But if you're avoiding spoilers, turn back now. Okay, all that aside, I'm done rambling. Let's get started. <laughs> Coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue. So if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. Cat, uh, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, this is one of my favorite podcasts, so I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> that is amazing to hear. And also, <laughs> just my immediate thought is, oh, she must not listen to many podcasts, because this is just like the <laughs> season out here. <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, but this is one I, I usually... so. I, I'm on a lot of podcasts, I guess, on a lot of podcasts. Uh, they're usually people that I know in person. I think this is the first podcast I've ever been on that I listened to first. Cool. <laughs> you know? Awesome. Well, I'm so excited about it. And I, I just thank you. Um, that's, thank you. <laughs> humbling anytime I hear like any sort of positive feedback about this, but to hear a favorite podcast, like, that's cool. I feel good right now. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of this podcast is just getting to meet you all through this thing. Um, because I know we've kind of gone back and forth on Twitter a couple of times, but I've never actually had a conversation with you. So this is like, I'm so jazzed for this. Yeah, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you uh, go ahead and kick us off by introducing yourself to Amy um, and <laughs> all of the listeners back at home. Who are you? What is your niche in the horror community? Kind of tell us about yourself. All right. Uh, my name is Cavalor. I spent I, I spent a lot of time in the horror communities, uh, variously online. But this is I'm moving from horror journalism, which is where I have been, into speculative fiction writing, uh, which is where I'm trying to go. I would say that my uh, niche now, for a while, it was startups. It was improbable startups. I worked for so many horror websites that don't exist anymore because <laughs> uh, I was there from day one for so many of them and uh, not all of them make it but <laughs> I now I would describe my uh, my niche as challenging fiction uh, if there's something that I don't feel has been done or if there's something that I don't feel qualified to do that is what I'll be doing next <laughs> so I, I'm not going to dive into Revenge Arc yet. Um, I have this really nasty habit of just throwing out the entire script and diving straight into the author's books as soon as they start talking. I'm not going to do that this time. But I feel like everything you just said with uh, with the kind of controversial horror and kind of the fringe horror, like uh, I saw a lot of that flare up in the book. And I was like, I wonder if she's speaking from experience here or if this is what she's doing with the character. 
it's it's fun to hear a little bit of you bleeding through into this but okay here we go so we are here to talk about revenge arcs in horror which your book is very <laughs> aptly titled revenge arcs <laughs> yeah for today um but let's hit the ground running here with the topic um when we are talking about revenge arcs in horror this is kind of an odd thing because if you know what you're doing when you're telling a story, there's some sort of a revenge arc or there's some sort of a try-fail cycle or there's some sort of a bounce back built into the story. Uh, the hero, the main character tries something, it goes poorly, and then they have to build back up and like succeed at the thing that they tried at the first time. Revenge arcs in horror take that very, very, very tried and true concept and just blow it all the fucking way up and go as gnarly as they want with it like I think all three of our topics today kind of hit on so for you uh for this topic today what is important to include in a good revenge arc and for you what sets revenge arcs apart from just the typical um try-fail cycle that we see in a lot of other stories why is this its own thing so I am someone, I am glad that we're talking about the tri-fail cycle. I am someone that will categorize a lot of things that are not traditionally considered revenge films into the revenge category, if that's the most compelling storyline, uh, even if it's not the main point of the thing. Um, so, I, because I do think the revenge element, it's very human uh, in both a good and way and maybe a less positive way there's something and so to boil it all down before i can go way off the handle here i think catharsis i think a good revenge movie has to be cathartic to some degree uh, i think in horror very often there is a question of when the catharsis becomes a problem uh if you're getting too much enjoyment out of a revenge arc you know maybe that's a problem with you as the audience you know uh but i i think that you have to have that level of satisfaction for it to be a good revenge movie above whatever other kind of movie yeah so Okay, we we had an episode in season two where I had Grant Womack come on and talk about extreme horror and just horror that really like goes places that society is not comfortable watching that material. Mm -hmm. uh, we kept it with like still fairly mainstream things, right? Like Saw and Hostel, <laughs> like stuff that like has that kind of extreme element to it. Yeah, uh, some of the topics we're talking about today. Cough, martyrs, cough, martyrs. <laughs> go all the way off the handle. Um, and I think to your point, the catharsis element of that is very difficult because um, you see grotesque things happen in really all three of these. Um, and to to try to set up a story where you see the grotesque thing happen and your immediate reaction isn't, I need to turn this off. It's, oh yeah, that tracks with the story. Like that is very tricky to get across. It's a challenge. Uh, it, it's a challenge to do anyway. It's a key to a good revenge narrative. Although I do think Saw is a really interesting, as an extreme horror, I, I wouldn't, obviously, uh, Coming into this with Martyrs as one of my picks, I'm a huge fan of French extremism 
in horror that's my favorite subgenre of horror i think when we're talking movies it's something that i find fascinating endlessly saw would have been when i was looking for unorthodox revenge movies like saw 6 would have been really interesting where it's like ah yes i was wronged by a system so i'm going to start torturing the people of this system uh, <laughs> that is <laughs> I think it's a really interesting element of John Kramer, though, as a villain, because you do there are these moments where you root for him, uh, even though it's not set up like a traditional revenge narrative. And that's the interesting thing about revenge narratives is you can take things a lot more extreme without it just feeling like extremism. It still feels like it's relevant to the narrative because you've set it up in such a way that there's empathy in most cases, if not all cases. So usually there's got to be some sort of an inciting incident here that sets the scale way unbalanced to start with so that when the gruesome shit starts hitting the fan, it, <laughs> it's kind of rebalancing the scales in a sense. And then maybe maybe they tip the opposite direction. But there there's at least that horrifying injustice to start with that when the protags start doing their thing you're like okay yes the it, you go girl sear that mexican beer logo into your <laughs> chew that peyote and let's go fuck some people up right? <laughs> you do you want to be rooting for the protagonist that being said i do think if i can kind of jump on that for a second i think the most important element to me for the mo the two most important elements for setting up a revenge story it's very easy if you're if you've never worked in revenge as a subgenre before and it's something you want to tap into 101 is to set that scale appropriately so it's very easy to empathize with the protagonist like that's a very easy thing to do i i would argue that the more important elements are to have an emotional impact in the inciting incident and to have narrative context for why the incident is the way that it is uh, and why the response will be as extreme or not as it is, uh, which is something that I think it's kind of overlooked because it's, it's so easy. Um, the seventies were the, <laughs> had this exploitation era where it was like, where we had a lot of rape and revenge arcs in horror films uh, and that's something that we're still kind of seeing that subgenre carry on today, including up to Revenge. <laughs> like one of the movies that I picked, it has kind of this same dynamic because the, as an inciting incident, sexual assault is so extreme that you can get away with pretty much whatever else you want to do in the movie and will still be rooting for the victim. But I honestly, I would be open to seeing more pettiness uh, in revenge stories if it's done in a way that makes sense which I, <laughs> this is, it's a weird thing to talk about but I think the first revenge arc that I ever saw on screen being a 90s kid was actually Sleeping Beauty <laughs> which, huge which left turn here <laughs> yeah huge left turn but <laughs> it's something that I would love to see in a horror scaling where because yeah, Maleficent, as a villain, she doesn't get invited to a party, and her immediate reaction is, okay, I'm gonna kill your kid, which, like, wild, right? Especially for, like, a cartoon, for a kid's cartoon, you're like, whoa, what? But that context makes a huge difference, because when you look at, you know, the 
fairy tales that inspired all of these things, fairies were these very powerful creatures to be respected and feared. And society had all of these crazy rules and, you know, this meticulous manner, what you could and couldn't do. There was this elaborate etiquette, I guess. And to break that for a fairy... They could do wild stuff like just, I'm going to take your kid away now, you know? And it's, uh, I, I would love to see more of that in horror. Uh, it's something that I didn't really touch on here, but I, I think that context is important where it's like, if you describe that a character has this power imbalance, you can do any small thing and they might react however, you know? And I, I think in a way, that's an area where the live action, because they actually came back around and, and redid maleficent story later on which i felt very uncomfortable with for a lot of reasons but it they did kind of touch on that where it's like it was a revenge story you know and i that is one thing that you kind of have to give it uh i and that's terrifying to me i would love to see something like that where but it's also something that i think is true in both of the movies that i selected where even though there is an emotional component, even though there is this horrific scaling, th- it informs the world building, you know? It gives you a lot of context into the character and, and what what we're getting into for the rest of the films. Okay, so we've got good examples here. Can you think of any, and disclaimer, this is always a, like, praise show. This is never a criticism show. This is never a, like... A uh, uh, really deep cut analysis of <laughs> what works and doesn't work. This is just shit that we like talking about it. But are there any revenge arcs that you can think of off the top of your head that just flat out don't work for the reasons you listed? Uh, the scaling's off, or the context isn't there, or just like anything like that. It's detached from the main story. Uh, I, yeah, I can't. I think. So- a lot of people, this is actually a movie that inspired me a lot. So, you know, I liked it, but I do think that the scaling was way off in um, I Spit on Your Grave, the original I Spit on Your Grave. Uh, it felt because there isn't a lot of character development at any point, I was going to say early on, but at any point in that movie, uh, it feels gratuitous, which is a complaint that a lot of people have about that movie. It's one I understand uh, and even though it was very influential in the genre, because it was on that first wave of revenge movies like this, but it it wasn't the best executed. Um, and another one that comes to mind is actually the remake of Wes Craven's Last House on the Left, that uh, when they remade it, I think they lost a lot of what may you know it's because it's a it's a revenge story about two parents getting revenge for their daughter who in the remake is not dead which is just a wild choice to me <laughs> the those scales that were so unbalanced to start the, the the og are like weirdly not unbalanced and then they go no. <laughs> yeah. and they're like they're more worried about getting revenge than saving their daughter which you kind of it's like they have to get revenge because that's what the plot of the movie is but like look after your kid right <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> uh, okay so um 
let's go into the the movies that we picked for today and the book that we picked for today because they are great examples of the stuff we're talking about to the point that we've already mentioned them all (laughs) (laughs) where do you want to kick this off with uh do we want to go revenge first do we want to build up to martyrs or just lead with martyrs yeah Uh, i think we probably want to build up to martyrs (laughs) (laughs) okay open with which uh when i was choosing movies i wanted to choose one that was a very traditional i and i had actually thought about choosing i i think at one point i had chosen last house on the left to talk about because it does have that very 70s style like classic setup uh i had wanted one that has that traditional revenge arc like what you think of and then one that plays with that structure um so i i think doing it in that order where we have one very traditional and then one that's like what (laughs) why (laughs) i love it yeah oh my gosh if anybody listening at this point if you haven't watched martyrs like this whole episode (laughs) is just gonna go off the rails at a certain point Uh, there's also it there's no way we can talk about that without spoilers it's (laughs) anything you say about martyrs feels like a spoiler (laughs) That's it is uh, getting way ahead of ourselves here. It is one of the most batshit crazy movies I've ever seen, and I don't know if I will ever recommend it to anybody. But I am so glad I like made it through that experience once. But I'm never going back. <laughs> uh, not, it's not a movie. I actually. I'm sure we'll talk about this later. The only context I had going into Martyrs was that like I saw it on a list of movies that are too brutal to watch more than once and like from that list i was like i need to find out what this movie is and what it's about i might be the only person i know that has ever willingly rewatched martyrs multiple times it's a it's a hard one. Oh my gosh yeah yeah so many thoughts let's get to it though um yeah. starting with revenge though revenge um revenge was a movie that i genuinely enjoyed watching like you were saying it is very like formulaic uh revenge Mm -hmm. arc like nothing really surprises you here but it's just all done with such flair and fun seems like the wrong word but (laughs) fun other than you know the rape and the like brutal murders (laughs) yeah other than that completely wrong do you want to set the stage here uh what is revenge what is this movie all about uh so revenge is one of my favorite movies it's because it does play with that 70s arc that we see that can very easily become problematic and at best of times can be very formulaic we see the same things over and over again there's a pretty woman she is sexually assaulted she is left for dead she has you know a powerful transformation uh, of some kind you know she goes into herself and is like i'm getting revenge and then we watch you know the for the majority of the movie as she does that you know we watch her get revenge and it's you know there's that catharsis there uh it's something that we saw a lot in the 70s it's something that had kind of a resurgence in the early 2000s early 2010s it's it's been around for a while it's very popular what i like about revenge is that there are just these little subtle tweaks to the formula that i didn't notice on a first watch i'm not even sure i noticed them on a second or third watch because it's a fun movie there's a lot to look at it's very grindhousey there's so much blood 
<laughs> there are a lot of visual elements that are just a lot of fun, but I, I do consider it a more like feminist version of it because even though it's the same tropes, it's approached from a very different lens and, and you can tell that this was the one that a woman directed. <laughs> like it, it comes through. Okay. So basic plot structure here for, for people that aren't familiar with this movie, revenge is about a main character whose name totally eludes me. <laughs> that gets brought out to this like complete tool of a human being's retreat in the middle of the desert where they're going to go, they're going to go hunting or on a safari or some shit like that. He brings main character who is his, his mistress out there has a fun time with her read between the lines for me uh, <laughs> and invites his buddies out too. And his buddies come out and one of the buddies rapes her and she's threatening to tell uh main dude bro's wife about everything that's going down. So he kills her. Just like push. <laughs> yeah, pushes her off a cliff. She lands on this like massive tree growing in the desert. It completely just like spears straight through her. And then things go haywire. She manages to pull herself off of said tree, uh, gets some of the hunting gear, and starts mowing the fuckers down. And it's awesome. Um, it's so good. So many questions here. Um, yeah. <laughs> where, do I, where do I even want to start? First one, when she gets gored on a tree, <laughs> yeah. any chance she actually pulls herself off of there? I know we are not medical experts here, but... <laughs> There's zero chance that she's getting <laughs> off that tree. It, it's not even... So the one thing I really like about the tree, because sometimes I do have a tough time with suspension of disbelief, but you watch her set the tree on fire so she can, like, stumble off of the tree, roll to the ground. She still has a huge chunk of tree sticking <laughs> out of her for, like, almost to the halfway point of the movie, I think. Like, it's outrageous how long... She's just going with trees stuck inside of her. And she and the trail of blood that she leaves for them. It's like there's there's only so much blood in the human body. I think you can survive if you get medical attention, if you lose like half of that. And uh, there's no way there's no way she lost that much blood. It's it's so and there's no like the infection at any point, you know, she's in the water and it's gross and the tree is in her for almost a full day and that's gross too. There's just, there's no way that this woman survives, but it sets up a plausible deniability for everything else we see in the movie, you know, because at this point you're like, okay, I'm watching this for entertainment value. Uh, we're getting to the fun, bloody stuff now and I, I don't have to worry about <laughs> how much, and like that, that, there's so much blood in this movie with others too. Like her victims bleed a lot. <laughs> bleed and get bloated in the river and just everything else. Overnight. That's so much bloat overnight <laughs> for well, like one month. For like six hours in the river. Um, that, yeah. Um, but I think that kind of hits back to what we were saying to start with is this movie is just so fun. Yeah. Um, it is it is sex, drugs, and rock and roll all in the first three minutes. Um, yeah. It is it is way more blood than the human body could possibly have just thrown around. <laughs> and like, screw gritty realism. We're just going for it with this one. And I think there's a lot to be appreciated about that. Um, there is. 
in the genre that like that uh rape revenge movies tend to be very very gritty very very dark very very we are digging into the utter trenches of humanity here and this one's like yeah we've got that but we also have neon strobing lights and we (laughs) car chases and we have like all the other fun stuff that you want it it made me feel like uh carly fargate i don't know if i'm saying her name right it made me feel like the director though like she knew that revenge movies at their core we're here for the revenge you know it's in the title that's what we want and she's like we're gonna have fun with it we're gonna go balls to the wall <laughs> like you're gonna get so much revenge even though it it has a death count that's like so low but you feel like you get your money's worth you know yeah, that was another thing that kind of struck me when they kicked the proceedings off. It was like, there's only three people in this building right now. Like, I'm I'm used to them <laughs> mowing through a whole like town of villagers on their way to getting revenge. <laughs> but it it also works to like the point of the subgenre of like we don't want a bunch of extraneous people getting caught in the crossfire. It's these three assholes that did the horrific thing. So it's these yeah. castles that are going to get just brutalized in <laughs> and it's great. It works. And there was that part the first time I watched it, there's that part of me that was expecting help to come. And then there are like drug lords that she's going to have to shoot down to get to the final bad guy. And it just, it doesn't happen. It's just those three. Yeah. And it's, it's very satisfying. Um, uh, it's it's such a fu- it, we keep saying fun uh <laughs> which is so weird in context but it it's an enjoyable movie it's like a grab a beer and some popcorn and toss it on kind of which is not something we see in the genre very often so it's very refreshing yeah um another thing i want to pitch to you um if we're talking about kind of subverting um the expectations of this genre and having a female director giving a like woman slant on it um something weird that i noticed um that i want to talk about and i'm hoping you have thoughts on here (laughs) in the beginning of the movie the movie is emphasizing the main characters god i feel so bad for not knowing her name (laughs) <laughs> the main characters i believe it's jen if that jen. helps <laughs> um, it is it is sexualizing her um she is like half naked the entire first part of the movie or full naked the full first part of the movie <laughs> yeah. um and she is like wielding her body and wielding her nudity and wielding her like sexual prowess as this thing to be proud of like she is very like comfortable in her situation she is like just doing her thing in the very end of the movie i think it's fun that we see a mirror held up to that because when the movie ends the guy that brought her to all of this again names me sorry (laughs) but the guy that brought her to all of this is naked in a very similar way and he is not handling it well Uh, no when he is naked he is freaking out when he is naked um i don't know there's something fun about the dichotomy of that to me and maybe you are a smarter person than me and (laughs) put words to whatever thought is in the back of my head scratching around right now (laughs) i don't know if i'm a smarter person but i i 
have seen this movie a lot of times, and I do think it's something that's really interesting because it's not something we see often. Uh, there was another movie that I also thought about for this um, because it's it's very non-traditional arc. It's called Violation, and it plays more with that theme uh, in a similar where there's like full frontal male nudity, like full on as a part of the thing, which is not something that we see often in these kinds of movies. And I, I, I do think it's something that's touched on a little bit less here because he's like running around. It's, it's still an action scene. We don't get left with his vulnerability for very long, but there is a strong sense that he's not used to being that vulnerable. Uh, he does not handle it as well. He feels very uncomfortable. And we see where Jen has, if, assuming that's her name, uh, she's gone from. While you're talking. <laughs> she's gone from like very comfortable with her sexuality uh, to someone that can handle herself. And he has gone from someone that can handle himself to someone that's very uncomfortable with his own vulnerability, which I think is very interesting. They have um, very different arcs. Um, Matilda, Anna, Ingrid Lutz as Jen. 10 internet points for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's another thing. I feel like I feel like Jen might have been, and I could be way off base here, I, it might have been a very intentional name, though, because I feel like there are a lot of Jennifers in these kinds of stories. We see a lot of, like, Jesses and Jens and Jennies, and, like, it feels like a very common name in this subgenre. And giving all of those past gens a little bit more um they have a bit more gravitas here <laughs> oh gravitas thank you <laughs> uh i think it's also something that's interesting we were talking about inciting incidents and setting these things up revenge is a fascinating inciting incident because i watched this so many times before I realized that the inciting incident is not from a like narrative structural standpoint it is not the assault, which just kind of blew my mind when I finally realized, because usually in these kinds of films, the assault and the being left for dead are kind of one and the same. You know, it's like one immediately after the other. Revenge sets it up in a very different way, because there are three guys. There's one guy that's just kind of there. There's the one guy that's, you know, a boyfriend, essentially, who does. Um, and then there's the the drug lord who does the assault. And but then there's a break like she's assaulted. She thinks that she's going to be OK. Like her boyfriend comes in. He comforts her. She's like, I want to go home. She's still with him. She trusts him to take care of her. Uh, and he's like, you know, I'm handling this. And the way that he's handling it is a way that's going to put her like more in the situation and more in danger. Uh, he's essentially like paying her out to keep quiet. It's not what she wants. She realizes that he's not really defending her in the way she wants. And there's this big emotional betrayal that is kind of cultivated with the him leaving her for dead which she's not remotely close to dying at this point so it feels more like even though it's still a physical thing there's this emotional betrayal that is like really capped off and i think the fact because even and watching it you always kind of expect because the the rapist is usually like the big bad guy that's where the showdown is is between our you know anti-hero female protagonist and the person that assaulted her and i think it is very telling in this movie that her showdown is with her boyfriend and it was that it was the emotional betrayal that hurt 
more and that we build back up to in the revenge arc which i can't think of any other movies that do that yeah none of that clicked with me until you were talking right now and i'm (laughs) you're sitting here going holy shit yeah (laughs) yeah i didn't notice for the longest time like the rapist is clearly like a horrific human being but he's never really given the spotlight as the villain if anything he's like kind of he gets the leg swept under him swept out under him as the villain repeatedly like he's just that bumbling loser that's out here with the rest of the group um the the real big bad is the one that just wouldn't stand up for her yeah Um, that tried to tried to send her up to canada or something like up your entire life here's some money just go away forever like that's your response to this like no screw you Bye. that was one of his worst crimes in the movie there's that line in there where he's like canada's basically la <laughs> it's like right no no <laughs> i do think it's really interesting that he's the villain and i do think it's again there's just kind of that feminism touch to this where it's like someone doesn't have to be a comic book villain style bad guy to do a really horrible thing. And that's kind of what we saw with the, uh, I'm not ever going to come up with his name, but that's what we saw with the actual rapist in this film is that he's just like, he does a really terrible thing, but we see him feel bad about it. Like he's actually, he's the one that doesn't want to kill her, you know? Uh, and the first thing when she's missing and every the other two are freaking out and he's like, it's not too late. And it's like, oh, it's definitely too late, but not not in the way you think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going. Okay. Um, let's let's go to Martyr now. Let's go. Because <laughs> we we've talked the traditional arc um, kind of through its paces here with revenge and thank you to revenge for being such a like good example for us martyr what the fuck (laughs) Um, i'm gonna leave this with you to start with um set the stage for this movie what is this about and how many spoilers are you going to drop in the description of the movie (laughs) i so i'm going to the description is not going to be super accurate because i'm going to try to do it as spoiler free as possible but this is like we said i'm a big advocate of going into all media as blind as possible i'm someone i won't watch movie trailers if i can avoid it i'll just go in like no context uh that's a dangerous thing to do for martyrs uh but you know i recommend it if you're someone that wants to be surprised because that's the one thing this movie does really well you do not know from one scene to the next where you're going (laughs) you know like i don't think at any point you know what's coming next um i certainly didn't but i so yeah big spoiler warning you you just you can't talk about this without some spoilers i would uh very conservatively describe this movie as about uh, anna who goes to help her best friend Lucy clean up a crime scene. Lucy is someone who has been horrifically abused 15 years prior uh, to the movie. And you have to kind of question everything you think you know past that point. Like you can, uh, I I do think that's the main arc though, is Anna helping clean up a crime scene. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) To a varying degree of success. <laughs> I'm dying laughing over here because we've covered 10 minutes. 
10 minutes of this movie. Okay. Um, so everybody, you've been warned. Um, we are doing <laughs> all the spoilers here. It is going to take some of the power away from this movie if you keep yeah. listening. It's brutal, though. It is fucking brutal. And, like, I I do not think I would recommend this to everyone. But if you are thinking about extreme horror and just like, yeah, I want to see what's out there. Have fun. (laughs) Walking through my reactions to this movie real quick. And I'm just (laughs) going to walk us through all the spoilers here. All Uh, right. Because it it took me a solid hour. I think you were saying this in in our Twitter chat. Like, it took me a solid hour to figure out what genre this thing even was. (laughs) Yeah. First reactions. Um, As, oh, crap, what were their names? Lucy and Anna? Lucy and Anna, yeah. Okay, first reaction. As Lucy is, like, building up and going back to get revenge on this family, why is there a feral, naked lady (laughs) chasing her around and being spooky as shit in the background? That is really disturbing, and I'm not okay with it. (laughs) Second thought, wow, they didn't really establish this family at all. They seem like really nice people. Holy shit, she is mowing every single one of them down with a shotgun, including the children. Including the children. (laughs) They deserved that. Um, (laughs) With the inciting incident conversation that we had a second ago, I had that front and center in my mind. And I was like, they haven't established that these people are the villains yet. I feel kind of odd that they're doing this. Also, (laughs) Anna's calling Lucy out and being like, did you know that was the family? Or did you just go... (laughs) family and i'm right there with anna I'm yeah really nervous that this movie is going to go in the direction of she just murdered a bunch of innocent people and now we're going to deal with the repercussions of that side note nope everything's fine because she finds this like path to the basement where they where they've been torturing people we find out that the feral naked lady that's still following Lucy around is a lady that she had seen when she first broke out um, that she didn't save, that she ran from to save herself, which is understandable. But now she's haunted by that memory. We're still only 15 minutes into this. <laughs> and then she murders herself because she thinks that feral naked lady is murdering her. And Anna's left in the wreckage with all of these bodies around her. And it's 30 minutes into the movie. (laughs) And then the freaking black hats come in to clean up the crime scene. And Anna gets taken. And she's in the spot where Lucy was to start the movie. And oh my god, it gets dark from there. I love that it gets dark at that point. Because it starts so dark. And then you're like, you haven't seen anything yet. Um... I do, I, and those are those are pretty much my reactions because it starts off. You see the girl escape. You see her like being taken care of at the orphanage, and uh, you know, and you see these hallucinations of the naked lady. And that was the a lot of people when they talk about murders, they talk about the end and how harrowing of an experience the movie becomes. Mm-hmm. But I was 
I was maybe 15 minutes into this movie and I knew that this was going to be one of my favorite things of all time because it's, I didn't know, usually you know where a movie is going, you know, like we, I thought this was going to be a revenge film and then there's this naked lady that shows up and then it's like, is she going to get revenge on people? Is this a psychological horror movie? Is it a paranormal horror movie? Is there a supernatural element? Is this woman a ghost or a demon or like, and you would forget about her because the things that you're watching are so horrific that she'd be out of your mind for a few minutes and you're like trying to, you're scrambling to catch up, you know, you're like, is this family innocent or, you know, is this the actual family? And then she shows up again and you're like, oh my God. So I was still trying to figure out like if this was a supernatural or psychological horror movie when Lucy kills herself and you're like okay so confirmed she was just crazy but then you're still not sure because she has these like scratches on her back and it's like how could she have inflicted those if you know like that cleanly from the angle that she has you know you're you're still kind of but you think it's pretty much confirmed and then there's this movie um there's this moment and I actually, I watched this, so I've seen this a handful of times because I'm not a healthy individual. <laughs> uh, no, I wrote an essay about it last year and I, I had to watch it a couple times to like take notes and stuff. And it was, it was a rough week. <laughs> I was like, uh, so this time, knowing that I, it's not something I should rewatch maybe as often as I do. And knowing that it was something that I really wanted my partner to see, I pulled him into my rewatch this last week. Uh <laughs> And he, it was so fun watching it with him because he had a lot of like out loud verbal reactions that I remembered that I had had the first time I saw it. And there's the moment, uh, there's like, I think it's a hammer or something. There's like the thing on the shelf that falls through the secret compartment in the wall. And he just like, <laughs> he got, he's like, oh shit, <laughs> Lucy was right. And it's like, yeah, Lucy was right. Because he, uh, like me watching the first time, had that moment where he's like, this was an innocent family, <laughs> you know, like we've just, we've watched her psychosis kind of drive her to kill an innocent family. And it lets you sit with that feeling for a while. Like this isn't a momentary fleeting thing. They've been building it up uh, as one of the elements and, you know, you, you are so devastated and to have Lucy confirmed as being kind of out of her mind, you think at this point. Um, and Anna's like calling her mom and apologizing and you know her mom's like I always told you Lucy was no good for you and you know it's just like this real harrowing and then you see the hammer fall through the secret compartment and you're like oh no <laughs> like yeah. where is this going <laughs> you feel uh just like so uncomfortable and then she's going it's not just like a secret compartment you know it's like this whole base it's this whole underground base of operations and then you remember that the mother like the innocent sweet making breakfast for her kid's mom was outside fixing a water pressure problem that was like really suspicious and you're like how big is this operation that you know she can't call in someone to do this kind of work. And yet, it's just like all these little details that kind of they circle back around to. And then, yeah, it does get really dark from that point on when you're already so unsettled because you've never, it does not give you any time to relax. So, <laughs> like at all. Um, the, the phrase that you said that I had to write down was just scrambling to catch up. And I feel like that is the, like that is the, 
driving phrase for this entire movie. You are going to start behind the ball. Even if you read the summary for this movie or watch the trailer, like it's not going to help you. You are behind the ball and you are trying to catch up and it's not going to let you. No, you, you don't get a chance to do that. We didn't even talk about like the the gruesome stuff that's actually happening here. The, the six to foot inch long staples getting pulled out of somebody's head one by one. Like it gets so psychotic. And that's such a, so if you watch a lot of psychological horror movies of like around of the 2010s, let's say, I think this came out in like 2008, but the French extremism is a little bit ahead of the American extremism. If you want, if you think about stuff like Saw and um, I would, it's, it's different, but like Gerald's Game is a good example. Like there are movies like this where you remember, even in a psychological film, you remember the gory moments best. Another wild thing, a testament to the writing of Martyrs, is that I had forgotten about the staples. I've seen this movie like a dozen times, and I was still surprised when she yanks those staples out of there, because it's like, there's so much haunting imagery from this that, like, these staples don't even register at first, you know, but it's Uh, gross. Like, they full-on show it, you know, and you're like, oh my god. I'm never getting the last shot out of my head. That last shot. Not spoiling it, but I'm it's 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 in there. It is seared in my frontal lobe. And I have to live with that now. You're welcome. (laughs) Get to live with that. Um okay, but let's bring it back to the topic here. So as far as revenge arcs go, clearly we've got the quick like five minute one in the beginning. Um where Lucy's coming back for revenge on this horrible thing that happened. In your mind, is there more going on here, revenge arc-wise? Um, I do. And this one this one is very hard to talk about without spoiling the final act. But I do think that Anna's arc concludes... I, I think it's a very interesting revenge story. Because I don't think by the end of the movie, Anna is thinking about or wanting revenge in any capacity. But in a way, she gets the most satisfying revenge conclusion uh, for just the the repercussions that come about from her treatment, I think, were very fitting in in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um... It's not the vindication that we as an audience maybe wanted, but I think it is a lot more subtle which is wild to say anything about this movie was subtle because like (laughs) but we see i i think it's very just like fully talk about this um let's (laughs) let's just go ahead and get into it (laughs) all right um so the thing with because Anna, it starts with, I feel like we start almost in the middle of the story because, you know, Lucy has this very traditional arc. She's abused horrifically and she goes and she grows up and she comes back and she kills the family that did it. And we find out that they did it. And then Anna, who has been in disbelief of this and saw the end first, like she saw the conclusion of this revenge happening. And then she's taken and she's treated the same way or worse arguably um (laughs) more i guess (laughs) she goes through this experience also and the by the end of it she is um we find out that the 
they're trying to it's essentially a cult it's not like one family that was doing this it's a whole organized cult that is trying to create a martyr um and which is someone who embraces the pain and and can see into the afterlife once they've let go of their human suffering so they're trying to create someone like this they do it with anna successfully like she becomes the fourth person ever in their trial and error to attain martyrdom she's the first person that can relay it back you know and it's uh, this was also something my partner said that he also kind of because it's a I believe it's an 18 minute montage of what Anna goes through and it is brutal it is hard to watch and uh, my partner actually was the one that pointed this out that he also had to let go a little bit where he was like I felt very connected to her because I was way tuned out by the end of that like that just is too much um but I, I think that's kind of why it's 18 full minutes of this, because, you know, it's very it I don't want to say gratuitous. I feel like it was very necessary to the point they were trying to prove. But it it's hard to <laughs> to watch. It it hurts a little bit. And then so we see her come through this and she lets go and they take her through this last stage of the process where it's like you think it can't get any worse and then the guy comes out and he's like your suffering's almost done there's just one more stage and you're like what else can there be in your so <laughs> <laughs> uncomfortable at that point because it's like oh no and then it like pans over you see that there's a set of doors there and you know you don't want to know what's through the doors uh and they show you and you don't understand what it is but you're still scared and it's like you know there are just so many layers to this um but they succeed essentially in this and anna comes through she achieves martyrdom she's the first person to speak about what she sees on the other side and it's this huge thing the cult gets together they all come to the house in their fancy cars and you know they're like they're ready to hear what all of these efforts for at least 15 years <laughs> have amounted to um yeah they didn't really give us a timeline did they no, we know that they had formed the cult and had it at like an unprofessional level 15 years ago because that's how Lucy escapes, but we don't really know when they started operations exactly. Generations worth of suffering here has amounted to, you know, someone finally relating their experience of the afterlife, you know, and you're ready. And at this point, because we've seen the bloodshed, we've seen, you know, like what kind of vengeance can do. And we've seen not only that Lucy shot an entire family, including the kids, um, which is like a big point in the movie that she gets the kids too. And we've seen what that kind of vengeance can bring about. And how brutal it can be. And Anna's gone worse. Like, she's undergone worse. You want the catharsis. You want this big, bloody finale where everyone in the cult is right there and should get what's coming to them. Like, you're, the revenge arc portion of your brain is trained to want this. You know, you're, like, ready to go. And then uh, what ends up happening is Mademoiselle, the, uh, the ambiguous cult leader, uh, has heard the words like Anna tells her what she sees she's the only one that knows uh because it's whispered to her and we don't get to hear it and she's supposed to announce it to like the cult and she asks um Etienne her like assistant man she's like you know can you imagine what's on the other side and he's like you know 
no and she says keep doubting and kills herself so she's she's the only one that knows the secret now that they've been looking for and she takes it to her grave immediately and it like i it i see that as a form of revenge you know i because it's hard not just for her but for the entire cult like all of their work meant nothing (laughs) and it's it's not the revenge I wanted, but I do kind of think it's the revenge they deserved, in a way. I'm trying to wrap my head around this idea that Anna got her revenge herself, but also didn't get her revenge herself. Like, she had to pass it off to another person, and then they were the vehicle for her, like, mental destruction of the cult. <laughs> um <laughs> And I think, and and that's kind of the beauty of the end, is that Anna never wants revenge. Like, it's just, uh, it plays very much as her genuinely passing off what she knows, and that knowledge that they've sought being the thing that destroys the cult after all this time, you know? There we go. That's perfect. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) It's uh, it's very poetic. (laughs) We're out of it. Um... (laughs) Do we have maybe one more thought on martyrs, or do we want to jump to revenge arc now? Um, I God, I have so many thoughts on martyrs, but it's <laughs> it's one of those movies you'll be thinking about forever. <laughs> like it's a uh, there's so much there. The, the one other thing that I will say, uh, just about it in terms of revenge, we were talking about the kids. <laughs> uh talking about the family because when you think when you it's not even if you think they're innocent or not you're detached enough still from the story that the first when you see the family get killed you don't really know what's going on like you see the dad get killed and you're like okay so this is lucy and you see the mom get killed and you're like okay she thinks this is you know the couple you see the adult son get killed she asks how old he is and he says he's 18 and in so like the adult age the the coming of age as an adult in france is actually 17 so he's like a little bit past that but in american audiences you know 18 is the big number you know he's an adult now and it's um and he gets shot and you're like he was just too old and that sucks because they frame him there's the it's so weird to think about this having seen the full movie but there's a moment in time where you think he's going to be a big character in this because they're setting up his relationship with his girlfriend and his school and like he's struggling they set him up really really well and you think it's going to matter and it does not and uh so you're like and it's and it hits so hard because you're like he had this whole life of mistakes to make and he was just a little bit too old and then there's the younger sister who also you think she's gonna be safe because she's a child and she would have had she's younger than the 15 years there's no way she could have had anything to do with this and then she also gets shot and it hurts so much and you can tell it hurts lucy and when she's confessing to her hallucination, she's like, I even killed the kids. And you get the idea that the hallucination is pressuring her into this. And it's it's so rough. And I felt so bad. Like, it's hard to empathize with Lucy at that point. I think that's like the peak revenge where you're kind of like, do I want this? And that And that's never, it's something I experienced a little bit watching my partner watch it for the first time. 
but on subsequent watches of Martyrs, I really don't feel that bad for them. Like, it's different when you see it. Like, obviously, you still feel bad for the two kids to an extent, but especially with the kid, like, that hits so differently seeing how women are brought up in this cult. You're kind of like, is this merciful? <laughs> like, would she, would you want to find this out about your parents? Like, would you want to live with the fallout and the potential danger of being brought in as a victim of this cult, as being brought in as a member of this cult? Like, was this a cleaner death for the child also? And that's not, it's not really addressed, but if you, if you're a psycho and you rewatch this movie, uh, it hits very differently on a rewatch. So, with that in mind, um, with long-term consequences of people, like, worked into, like, even just tangentially into these sorts of situations, I think we've got a good segue here to the binge <laughs> arc. So, would you like to set the stage for us? What is this story about? Really sell it to listeners for a second. Let's get you some pre-orders and sales and everything. Uh <laughs> In the interest of really selling it, I'm actually going to steal the words from my editors. I'm it's this is what I was talking about earlier. I try to do stuff that's really hard to talk about, and I'm not good at synopses anyway. Uh, so if you don't mind, uh, I am going to just steal this snippet real quick. Um, when controversial comic creator Riley Langdon is faced with an unimaginable crime committed in her name, she retreats from the spotlight she spent years seeking, but as media, fandom, and obsession churn, Riley's story takes on a life of its own. Uh, which is much more concise than anything. I can, I'm always like, it's about a comic creator, and <laughs> like we get to see her emails, and <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it's very difficult to talk about the structure of revenge arc so first note this book is so much fun uh, <laughs> i felt like it was house of leaves without feeling like homework <laughs> house of leaves has um so so revenge arc has a very non-traditional structure to it it is not a novel where you, you just read through paragraph after paragraph it's like this amalgamation of twitter feeds and reddit posts uh and through reading those you get the shape of the story that's taking place here it's just this really cool atypical structure um and like it's similar to what we see in house of leaves right so we've got the the structure there and then the notes and the margins and you're having to flip the book sideways and up and down and trying to figure out what's going on this reads like a much more accessible version of that. There is a puzzle going on here. There are clues scattered throughout and you are like slowly having to put together the picture of what's actually going on here through all of these third party accounts. I had so much fun with it. Thank um, you so much. Um, I'm so glad to hear that you liked it. I'm honored. I'm humbled to be uh, compared to House of Leaves, uh, which huge fan of. Um <laughs> But yeah, I do think this is more accessible. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to do a reread of House of Leaves at some point, because the first time I did it, I was just not in the right headspace for it. <laughs> but, but keeping the focus here, it's unlike anything I've read in a long time. And I mean that as the highest compliment. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I do. It, to kind of try and pitch the vibe uh, more than the story, it's so hard to talk about the story because the story... 
of Revenge Arc is the thing that is happening off page constantly. <laughs> like you're seeing something and the story is what's, you know, out of frame essentially for this. Uh, but to kind of pitch the vibe, I, I've had a lot of people tell me that it feels like falling down like an internet rabbit hole at three o'clock in the morning. And that is very much, uh, that's what I was going for. So I'm, I'm glad that that's the experience people are having for better or worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It is stumbling across something with a weird Wikipedia page and then just continuing (laughs) to click the links until it's three in the morning and you have lost all faith in humanity and what. Um, it's a, it's one reason why I had wanted to, and we talked about this at the top of the show, is one reason why I wanted like a traditional, because it does, I tried to tease, uh, it, even with the title, I tried to tease that there was going to be like a traditional revenge arc, like what we're used to, and then I did not do that, uh, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have like a traditional revenge movie, and then something that I, and initially I had not planned to go quite as off script as martyrs which is very non-traditional but i i did want something that's like anyway the revenge thing you wanted is like a tiny part of this but also here's all this other stuff <laughs> so let's let's do that then so with the revenge arc of revenge arc what is oh where do i even start here i want to start <laughs> at the very end of the book and i know i can't um <laughs> <laughs> So, like, nobody writes a book without having something to say, right? What's the goal of Revenge Arc in your mind? What is What are some of, I guess, um, the, the big points that this book is trying to make as it goes through? So, my inspiration for the... There were a lot of key Great. elements of Revenge Arc. Super. <laughs> <laughs> what is the inspiration for Revenge Arc? God, well... I so many words. <laughs> No, I think, uh, like, what you were talking about, it's actually kind of a more specific, but I, I do feel like I have to broaden it out before I can hone in, because there were there were a lot of key inspirations for this book that were superficial, like, they were a core part of the final product, but they were aesthetic choices, and I think when we, like, focus in just on what I want it to do, what my goal is with this... I think it's, I I think my goal is, (laughs) this sounds like a cop-out, but I want people to think about it. Like, I want people to think about their interactions online. I I want people to think about what we're not seeing and how they condense their feelings and whether or not that's something that actually portrays them as a person, I guess. It it is kind of to hold a mirror up at the audience and be like, you know, are these things you've thought about recently? Which is one of the big reasons why there's no narrative, like in a traditional sense, because I didn't want to and you know, when when there are these big conspiracy theories online, uh, when there are these big controversies, usually, you know, we see multiple sides of it, but it's just two sides and we pick one. And so it was really important to me when uh, compiling this book, I guess is a good way to put it, yeah. uh, when putting it in an order, because I wrote it chronologically, which was dumb because then I had to figure out what order it went in and it's like oh no um but when I was compiling it essentially it I didn't want there to be 
Like, I, I didn't want it to sway too much one side or the other because that's not something we really get in real life. You know, we get what you see online and that's that's pretty much it because most for the most part we with controversies we don't ever know what's going on in people's heads who makes these statements you know we just see the statements and it's it's unsettling when you think about it that we never get those answers confirmed so i i wanted the book to do that i guess <laughs> i think you were very successful at that because <laughs> uh Oh gosh, so selfishly, I like I had an answer I wanted you to give as I was trying to like, <laughs> ask that question, frame it in a way to like guide you to that answer. But it was it's okay. So so looking at the three things we're talking about today, kind of in order, in Revenge Arc we have a singular perspective um, of Jen's, and it is like in my opinion the right perspective, um, where yeah. bad guys did bad thing, bad guys get get their comeuppance. We've got Martyrs that starts to challenge that a whole lot um, with is Lucy justified in her murdering? It makes us think that she isn't for a second. Then it brings us back to, oh, yes, she was. It just plays with those expectations. Revenge arc is really fun because it is all this third party perspective. And you you get a couple of glimpses into Riley's first person uh, journal entries and stuff like that but it's not the bulk of the book for the most part you're stuck as this observer trying to piece together like you were saying <laughs> uh, what's going on here who's right who's wrong what's actually happening how much of this is real how much of this is just like conspiracy theory and it's it's I, I don't know that was part of the puzzle element of it that I really had fun with was trying to sort out um who's who what's what <laughs> uh in an in a revenge arc that is like typically very straightforward right yeah <laughs> it was hard to do but i think it was because it, it's little peek behind the screen here the uh the rough draft of this was eighteen thousand words longer <laughs> than this version uh because i be as a writer, you want to approach things from that narrative standpoint, you know, where it's, you have this character and it, even when they're not a super likable character, you're like, you want people to understand the inside of this person's head, because that's usually what good storytelling looks like in so many cases. And it, it, it was, and it was kind of how I kept track of who was where when like that was how I ordered the timeline was all through you know the one perspective and then a lot of my editing process was taking that out because it's like how much of this do people need to see and the answer was not that much <laughs> yeah. you know and and you do you do get to see like a few journal entries and stuff and even those are uh like annotated by a different perspective <laughs> so it's uh and those are pretty much the ones i kept the ones that needed annotation it's like okay everything else can go um okay so then next thought with this there are multiple points in the story where i don't think we've really said this outright yet but riley is writing a comic about a red room which is like do you want to go, go go ahead and explain to everybody what what that red room is what this comic is about that it's a comic yeah. in the story. So what is the comic <laughs> story about for a second? Because it's going to uh, let me answer my question. 
Okay. Um, yeah. So when I was talking about inspiration, like key elements of revenge arc that ultimately didn't matter that much, uh, the red room was the thing that I wanted to write about, like cut back to 2016 when I first had this idea. And I was like, and red rooms were such a big thing, like in the internet urban legend sphere you know like creepypastas were covering red rooms and args were covering red rooms and they were like and we uh like we were first getting trailers to like welcome to the game and i just like it was such a big moment in internet horror uh and i knew i wanted to get in on it but i didn't know how and it because it's a it's a really terrifying concept that i felt was very underutilized in the mainstream horror um and essentially what a Red Room is, it's a live stream uh, on the deep web or dark web, depending on how out of yeah. reality you want to go with this. Uh, the, the deep web being the 90% of the internet that you can't access through a browser. The dark web being the colloquial like, ooh, what if the deep web is all creepy um, <laughs> equivalent. So, there, But there are these chat rooms where you pay money, usually Bitcoin. Uh, because it's anonymous, and at the time it was still very mysterious. Uh, you, you pay your money to watch someone get tortured uh, on a live stream, essentially, is is the rumor. And, you know, like most urban legends, you know, there was a time where people were like, is this real? Can this happen? And it, it spawned just like all of these outrageous horror stories. And uh, Riley's comic... Um, is actually she was she was a little bit more ahead of the curve than I ever was, but she's uh, uh, her comic is about someone that survives uh, a year, roughly a year uh, in a red room. Her name, uh, she the protagonist doesn't have a name. She's referred to as Red because that's what they call her on the stream, and she survives and escapes and then goes on a five arc uh, killing of the people that put her in that situation. So. Uh, it's just like this very graphic web comic that it that doesn't exist that Riley has created, you know. Uh, although in the uh, in the final draft of the book, we did commission three comic pages, so I'm really excited for that. They're here. Questions. <laughs> They're gorgeous. <laughs> like oh. I love them so much. Okay. It now kind of exists. <laughs> Um, because that was one of the things that I ended with was just like, ah, man, I would have killed for like one or two, just like even panels to see what this thing is in your mind. <laughs> um, but okay. So all of that is happening kind of before the story even kicks off that, that, yeah. um, comic has run its course. So when we pick up on the narrative, we are meeting Riley for the first time. She is facing some backlash to this. And one of the big things that struck stuck out to me in the story was um, she goes to a Comic-Con-esque thing uh, mm -hmm. and is on a panel and uh, really like gets in a gets into a point where she has to defend herself and defend her art against people that are trying to attribute the extremism to her like saying you're a bad person for creating art about this stuff um that are trying to uh maybe demean her as a woman um creator like what what is a female doing creating stuff like this it just felt like a very important statement that you were making about 
um, being able to disassociate art from artists and all of that other stuff, giving us that conversation in a book that is all third party perspective or mostly third party perspective was just brilliant to me. <laughs> Riley doesn't really get a chance to defend herself to us. We just have to hear her defense through other parties that are going to have their own slant. So I wanted to I wanted to pitch this to you here. Yeah. Um, we're talking about some of the most brutal things <laughs> I've watched, um, and lots of female creators. Um, I didn't look up who who made martyrs. Uh, uh Pascal Logie made martyrs. So I do have one man and one woman creator in this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what I, I don't know. Do you want to pick up this torch and carry it for a second? Uh, what is an artist's responsibility with their creations? How much of fan reactions should we be responsible for versus how much of that is on them? Yeah. I, um. <laughs> I'm so glad that you asked that. Uh, that was one of the, you know, when I talked about this asking questions, that that's what Revenge Arc is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you, the audience, the, the reader, think about questions. And <laughs> uh, that's one of the main questions that I don't think really gets answered in the book, because uh, it does have, it has that element of online discourse where, like, that's a very nuanced question. What does a creator have responsibility for once the art is out in the world, you know, like that's, and it's a very, it's a complex question. It has like a grayscale answer somewhere. It, different people feel differently about it. But the thing about online discourse is that people want everything to be a white and black issue. Either you're responsible for what you put into the world all the time, no question, like you're responsible for every person that reads it and is inspired by it and, you know, take something harmful away from it. Either you're responsible for that entirely or it's none of your business. And there's like, I think, uh, I think a lot of different creators are going to have somewhere in between those two extremes. A and that is kind of the, I, I think it's something that was interesting about working in this format because you get to see both of those extremes but I never gave you an answer anywhere in the middle. Like you can see just how different people react to the question. Um, I think I, I I lean more toward people are not responsible for how people take their art. I lean more on that side of the spectrum, but it is somewhere in the middle. I, I don't lean that like Riley very is adamant about whatever happens now it is not my fault like she's she's a very defensive person um anyway so the internet culture is, uh it's it's built for her because she can say stuff like you know no a hundred percent i'm not in the wrong once i release the thing um but i i do think like the way that you present art matters i think the way you talk about it matters i think you have some influence on how people perceive what you do but and it's good to be aware of it's something to take into account moving forward but I, the beauty of art is that people are going to interpret it differently and if you try to if you try to guess how everyone is going to take something that you write down you're never going to get anything written you know like you have to make it for yourself and then kind of trust you have to trust your audience not to go crazy with it you know 
which we're the horror community. We are known for our sensible, rational reactions to of course. things that we encounter. <laughs> uh, okay, so then I've got one last question kind of with Revenge Arc, and I think this is tying back into the bigger themes at play here too. Thinking back to what we were talking about in the beginning about scaling with inciting incidents versus the revenge, I think revenge arc is really fun because it takes two very different perspectives on this. Um, in the comic within the story, in Red, horrifying things are done to Red, Red breaks out, Red does horrifying things back, the scales seem very balanced. The main storyline, though, <laughs> um, I'm going to avoid spoiling everything <laughs> here, and I'm just going to let you take this whatever direction you want. Um, the <laughs> main storyline almost seems to swing the opposite direction. Hor uh, like horrifying things are done and then horrifying things happen as a reaction to that but you are not it doesn't seem like <laughs> supposed to um, be on board with horrifying things <laughs> happening uh, uh, as the pendulum swings back so I don't know what's what's going on with the 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 dichotomy there of what's happening within the fiction versus what what's happening within quote unquote real world. I do think there's there are some interesting elements at play that I believe I can talk about without spoiling anything here. Uh, they have so the one thing is that that is an element that I want because it's like the same things that we see uh done to this is an impersonation up to a certain extent uh where you see real life imitating art and it's there is supposed to be this very uncomfortable feeling of something that you root for in fiction is maybe not something that you root for in real life <laughs> you know and a very interesting there's a character in here there's an a relatively unnamed character um, in this, who actually has that opposite opinion uh, to, he's the, I would say, antagonist, they're the antagonist, um, where it's like, it's one of those, if we get a, I almost said martyr, um, I've got martyrs on the brain, if we get an anti-hero out of this, is it worth the initial, you know, like, cruelty, and, and actually kind of sees himself, I guess, as a hero for bringing this from the comic world into the real life, which is something that gets kind of addressed where it's like, obviously this is a horrible idea. This is a terrible thing to be doing, you know, and it's, it's clear pretty much to everyone but them. And it's, you know, but I, I do think it's, there is for everyone else, for everyone aside from this one fictional character, everyone else reads this and is like, you know, you don't really want to root for it once. And I think that's something that even when the revenge portion comes into play, and not just the re uh, recreation, but there is a point where, you know, we've had kind of this recreation for the setup in the real world that was inspired by the comic. And then we get to the part where there should be the revenge arc that we saw in the comic, because that's all that the comic was and uh and we don't quite get that we get something different yeah uh because everyone interprets art differently so obviously you know you would get something different um having the situation set up for someone else you know the reaction is going to be different and i i do think that 
it's um it kind of asks that question of like where even the people behind the revenge are kind of asking themselves you know is this okay <laughs> like is this what i want to be doing with my life <laughs> you know and which you know when you've been wrong there is that initial i want retribution and you put it in the framework of a revenge arc and it seems really obvious what that retribution should be and the book kind of asks you know if you would want it i guess <laughs> like how you would want your own revenge arc to go if you had the chance to start one and who it would be against <laughs> like who's who's the guilty party here <laughs> Uh, but in true in true fashion to the book, none of those questions are answered. <laughs> like it just kind of lays them out and lets you figure it out. Yeah, we are speaking very vaguely here. Yeah, I, know. I know I'm speaking vaguely in part because I don't want to spoil anything, and also in part because I'm like, I there's still a couple of puzzle pieces out here. That <laughs> um, but I can say one of my favorite reactions in the book to make sure i phrase this in a way that doesn't spoil it uh, one of my favorite reactions in the book is when this big bad terrifying thing that's been going on um we, we kind of have a step back moment and the the big bad terrifying thing is like well shit this isn't working the way i wanted it to uh, um we gotta regroup people <laughs> um, I uh, I made some mistakes and we're gonna we're gonna pivot. <laughs> uh, do something. We're gonna try something else. Like stand by. Um... Humanizing the villain was just fantastic. <laughs> uh, I did you mean for it to be comedic relief? Yeah, there are definitely elements of I, I feel weird because that's one question that I've gotten is like, what genre is this? And it's like. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of funny, but in like a very dark way. Um, <laughs> you feel kind of bad for laughing at it, but um, I'm gonna cut us off there because if I keep talking, I'm gonna start spoiling <laughs> things. And I think I already just like right there kind of spoiled <laughs> a little bit of something. Um, but um, listeners, if if anything we have said today interests you in any way, shape, or form, go buy this book. <laughs> read it reach out to me on twitter or threads or whatever the fuck we're on at this point um i i would love to talk through this with uh, extra details added in with you but cat anything else we're missing here with revenge arc anything else we should dive into before we wrap this up uh, no, I think the the one thing that I have been saying for people, and we kind of covered it already, but just to bring it back, just to really hit it home, because I, no spoilers still, uh, the end has been a point of contention with early readers, because it is up to interpretation. I think the through lines that you hone in on on the book kind of inform the way that you interpret the end. Um, I have gotten a couple people, and this was something because I, it's intentionally, my whole thing was I'm not going to confirm anything with this story. Um, I have had a couple people reach out to me and tell me that they thought that the end was too happy, which was interesting. <laughs> it was, it was one of my biggest fears when, uh, publishing it the way that it was, that it's like that maybe people would interpret this in a way that's, that it's not intended to be. And whenever someone tells me that it's like a really 
happy end i i worry but then also i it's so much about what you like how you see it you know and i think that's so just while you're reading uh remember that it's about the things that you're not seeing uh it's it's a very it's framed in a in a very non-traditional way and it might take some extra effort on your part to get there i guess with the end i am violently shaking my head no over here i I wait to stop recording so (laughs) just like out my theories off to you um that being said just to follow up like keep it in mind but if you think that the end of this book ties up in a neat package and is a happy end you are entitled to have that opinion that's the thing about revenge arc is you can make of it what you will (laughs) It's the internet. We're all entitled to our opinion, right? Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, Kat, this was absolutely a joy. Um, I had so much fun meeting you and talking about these things. Um, I I think I can say this honestly. I had more fun talking about these movies than I had watching some of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Some of them are more fun to talk about, but this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> we are doing this again. Um, I, I enjoyed this way too much. Um, but for now... Wait till you see the movies I picked for my next book. <laughs> it'll traumatize me for life, and I'm <laughs> I'm ready for it. <laughs> but uh, kind of as signing off for now, um, where can listeners connect with you? Where can we find your books? For as long as it exists, you can find me on Twitter at cat underscore velour. Uh, I will have to start using Instagram when Twitter fails. So you can find me there at cat velour. Um, no dash or anything. <laughs> and uh, you can always check out my website, catvalor.com. It has updates. It has the Revenge Arc pre-order. Um, it will have updates about my next book, which has just been announced but is we've not done like a reveal or anything for it yet. It's just been announced. So you can check all of that out there. And um, please, please, uh, because I forgot to plug this earlier. This is something I'm usually so good about talking about at the top of interviews. Um, The cover art for Revenge Arc was done by Grim Poppy Designs. I actually bought the cover for this myself before I had the book written. Um, It is gorgeous. Uh, Check out Grim Poppy Designs on Twitter while it lasts. And check out um, Archive of the Odd did a fantastic job. The formatting for this is not something I was capable of doing on my own. They did a fantastic job, 100% true-to-source formatting, and it's just gorgeous. So I, I cannot recommend enough that you check out the other found file works over at Archive of the Odd. Yeah, they. that was another thing that struck me. Like, this could have gone so sideways, and they did a great job. <laughs> yeah. Um, other thing I thought of as soon as you started talking, and I meant to bring this up earlier, <laughs> your profile picture on Twitter right now, is that red? That's red. <laughs> <laughs> that was, um, so my profile picture on Twitter is currently, we were trying to figure out when we were doing concept art for the book, we had like, because we needed to reach out to the artist, we needed to have designs ready. So the in-house artist drew a couple things, but then we were also trying to figure out what to do for fan art. So we found... Um, we found a couple doll makers and just like put together like uh and we 
this one was my favorite. The one that I'm using is my Twitter profile right now. But it, because of licensing, we could not use it, obviously. Uh, it is not, like, licensable. So I just started using it as my Twitter profile. Um, and yes, it is red. That was, like, one of the first concept pictures we ever had for her. <laughs> it's great. I mean, yeah. got Easter eggs built into real life. Like, how much more meta can you go? <laughs> I know. We also we have a um shouting this out right here at the end. Uh, too late as always. Uh, at Gut Reactions actually has its own Twitter page as well now, <laughs> which <laughs> has been fun to see. Okay, that was another part of the book that I had a lot of fun with. Um, listeners, there there are little snippets built in here where Riley has a blog that she runs where she will post these very short, very quick reviews of movies that she's watched. Um, and Kat does not tell you the name of the movie. She just describes the posters for the most part. So half the time I'm reading these, I'm going, <laughs> I know that poster. This is Last House on the Left. Oh, this is I Spit on Your Grave. Aha! I have no clue what this one is. Oh, there's martyrs. <laughs> That's like... actually something from the um from reading the arc because that might or might not be subject to change. I created fake titles for all of the movies. We had posters commissioned for all of these that have the title on them. Um, but we took the titles out of the alt text to condense it for the arc. So n not only. Uh, to, that was a that was a weird stage of the process where it was like because these were all written about real movies and then we went back and I renamed all of them uh, <laughs> so that we could have like non so that we wouldn't get sued when we included poster art I think we're not putting the full poster art in the book uh, because we decided that also is kind of disruptive so the movie titles might go back in there we are however putting together like an ebook of just extras so much stuff had to be cut out of this and it and we. We did commission all these posters, so we have just, like, a bunch of movie posters sitting around now that it's like, hmm, what do we do with this? Uh, and that was a fun thing uh, from some of my early readers, is I had a lot of people reach out, and they're like, is this movie this actual real-world movie? <laughs> like, uh, The Easter, egg. Easter eggs, they're so fun. Um, okay, we're going to sign off. Because we are we are at an hour and a half now and this <laughs> forever, but I'm gonna keep talking to you talking to you as soon as the uh, recording is over. But again, this has been so so much fun, um, listeners. If you had fun here, please pick up a copy of Revenge Arc. Make sure you are following Cat on Twitter and all of the other social medias that are springing up like daisies. Yeah. Um, if you would if you're enjoying the podcast don't forget to like subscribe or what are we signing off with this time um murder the entire family of your streaming service of choice can i say that <laughs> <laughs> but check the basement afterwards it's fine they deserve it <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next time bye <laughs>